0: But we're going to the book of Mark, so go ahead and take your Bibles and go with me to the Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is our text for um, this morning. Now, we are continuing our series on the summer road trip. We are heading up another road this morning. And Peyton has, has helped me out in this series. And after this month, we're going to start a, another series but what we're going to find out this morning is the road that we're going to talk about is, was placed here. There was a story right before it that was placed strategically. And if you were to look at verses 22 through 26, you may remember the story about the blind man that was brought to Jesus. And, and Jesus, it's, it's a really confusing account. <laughs> Jesus spits in his eyes. I know. We're like, whoa. Then he touches him. And he could see, but it was blurry. And Jesus has to touch him a second time. It's the only time when Jesus had to heal a man. It took twice before he could heal this man. And it's like, that's confusing. But that's also an indication to us that there's a little bit more to it. So keep that in mind. We're going to start reading in verse 27. And Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, the villages of Caesarea Philippi, it is on the uh just below the uh Mount Hermon, I think. It's below Mount Hermon. Not according to my clicker, it's not. Uh, so. Let's see. Okay, it's, it's working now. So, uh, so here we see Caesarea Philippi. There's Mount Hermon. And Jesus has been in Bethsaida. This is where that miracle took place. This is the road that he took. And it says on the way. And the word way in the Greek is many times translated as road or path. So on the road. But we're going to find out this is a whole lot more than a Roman road this is a road that was first spoken by mark in the very beginning it is it is the road that the prophet malachi prophesied would one day come and it is on this road that jesus is going to challenge his disciples on the way as we see in our text it's the first time it's going to be used, and it is going to be used nine times over the next five chapters. This is going to be a real challenge for, for these disciples, and you're going to find out it's going to be a real challenge for you. On the road, it's challenging to me. Jesus is going to say some things here that are really going to challenge the way we see things and, and, and our own ideals and perceptions. It challenged me for years. It's challenged me this week. And so I believe it's going to challenge you. And he first starts by asking a question. He says, who do people say that I am? Okay, what's my ranking in the polls? Right? What are they saying? And he said, well, they think you're a prophet. Actually, they think you're one of the prophets. One of actually, some think you are a prophet that has been raised from the dead, like John the Baptizer. There were others who would have thought back to the apocryphal book that was written between the two testaments, and they talked about the coming of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And, he, and we know about Malachi. Malachi talks about Elijah, which she also says some think he is Elijah. Well, why would they think that? Well, because he says Elijah's going to come before the great day of the Lord as it's ending out the Old Testament. You remember Elijah, right? Elijah never died. Elijah was taken to heaven in a very awesome way. So they think Jesus is one of the prophets, and we're like, wow. I mean, they think pretty highly of him. So then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? You're my disciples, you're the ones who hear me, you're the ones who've seen me, who do you say that I am? And if you remember when Jesus calmed the storm back in chapter four, they asked the question, who is this? Who is this that can control the winds and the waves? But now, after this time has passed and they continue to to hear Jesus and to see his power and his miracles, Peter stands up and he speaks for the rest of them, as he often did, and he says, you are the Christ. And we're like, hallelujah, finally, you guys. And by the way, Christ means the anointed one. The Hebrew is Messiah. Messiah. By the end of the Old Testament, there was a new concept that had risen about this anointed one who would come. It had very political and nationalistic ideals. And what I notice is that they finally are the ones who say, you are the Christ. And Jesus, what does he say there? He strictly forbids them to tell anyone about this. And we often think, and I've often thought this before, well, it's because it wasn't his time yet. But I am more and more convinced that was not what it was about. In fact, what Jesus does here in the Greek is that he rebukes them. It's the same rebuke that he gives of the demons when they say he's the son of God. And he rebukes them and he tells them not to say that. But I really believe the reason he tells Peter and the disciples not to tell anyone as to who he is isn't because he has a problem with being the Christ because they don't have a full concept of what it means for him to be the Christ. And we see that right after, if you were to look at verses 31 through 33, Jesus began to teach and it says he was very plain. He's finally teaching them very plainly about this. And he says, I am going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. And even though he says, I'm going to be resurrected, that is not the concept of Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. Think back to the blind man. He was able to begin to see, but everything was blurry. It was to show that these disciples, they are beginning to see, yes, he is the Christ, but things are still blurry as to who he is and what he has come to do. Because Peter's concept, and it's not just Peter, but Peter's concept is very selfish he has selfish desires he thinks that Jesus is going to come the Messiah will come and he will overthrow the powers that are oppressing God's people he believes that's what it's about and why wouldn't he think this this Jesus he he has the power over nature he has power over these spiritual evil powerful demons he's able to to heal the sick He's able to feed thousands of people with just a small lunch. He, th- this Messiah, this anointed one, does not have to die. But Peter is thinking in terms of human terms, which we often do, because we are human. But Jesus is thinking in divine terms and the will of the Father. And so he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan that had to be a shock because without knowing it trying to change the plans of the Messiah the anointed one he has aligned himself with Satan he is supposed to be a follower of Jesus This isn't supposed to go the other way Jesus isn't supposed to follow the disciple and what they want him to be who do you say Jesus is? you see this this is as much for us as it was for Peter and the disciples because we too are tempted to want Jesus to be who we want him to be a disciple has to do more than just get a title right it's got to be more than just getting a title right on the side of a road some see Jesus as this revolutionary he has come to stop evil And his disciples will rise up with violence if necessary to fight against the evil of the world. People like this guy, Peter James Knight, who in 2001, he walked into an abortion clinic and he shot the security guard and he killed him. He planned to kill everybody else in there by burning them alive, but he was taken down. But that is what he believed it meant for Jesus to be the Christ, that's his concept. You may though remember more this guy, Eric Robert Rudolph. He was responsible for the Centennial Olympic, uh, Olympic Park bombing in 1996. That sound a little bit familiar. He also attacked an abortion clinic. He attacked a lesbian nightclub as well because he believed that's what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And when I was going online, just to look for a couple of examples, I was shocked how many examples I could have pulled. It was shocking. But you say, come on now, Now, we're not these people. These are radicals. And you're right. I, I don't think there's anybody in this room that ever would go and do what these guys went and have done. I really don't. But there is something that's happening in our culture and it's been around for a very long time, but it's really raising its ugly head that I think we do need to talk about. And the great example of that is what happened on January the 6th, the insurrection at the Capitol. Now, I'm not here to talk politics. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. I'm not here to tell you who's at fault. I'm not here to, listen, there were several groups that were involved. Not everybody there at the Capitol that day or outside the Capitol were causing problems. And look, that's not what, I'm not here to talk about that. But there is something we do need to talk about, and it's this idea of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism is a problem. You see, during the insurrection, we saw a lot of these symbols sacred symbols. Jesus saves, we see a cross. We, we saw these Christian flags and, and other such like things. And there were some, and I'm not gonna say all because I don't know all these folks. But there are some who believe that that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and that Jesus wanted them to storm the Capitol, to take back from evil. And there are some who believe that God empowered them that day to overtake the capital and to give them great victory. Jesus wants to know, who do you say that I am? Peter would have loved a good insurrection at this point. He really would have. This is how he saw Jesus. This is how the other disciples saw Jesus. Now let me say this, patriotism is not the same as nationalism. Nationalism. Patriotism is a love for country. I love my country, warts and all. I I think that we should appreciate our place here. We should want this country to flourish. And that also means that it's subject to critique at times. That when there's injustice, there are times that that needs to be dealt with. But there is a time and there is a place for these things. Christian nationalism, though... It is the belief that America is defined by Christianity. And that the government should take active steps in order to keep it that way. And it sounds good, doesn't it? You can see the human nature part of this, right? But it is idolatrous at best. Because it looks to a political power as the thing that is going to save us. Or a political person that will save us and that's not biblical oh come on now what about Israel what about Israel and by the way I've heard this being said a few times there's only two nations ever have been established by God Israel and America that's Christian nationalism by the way but what about Israel Israel is the nation that God did raise up he's going to bring the Messiah into the world that's going to save humanity but do you remember that time that they wanted a king just like all the other nations they sinned because they were rejecting Yahweh as king and they wanted someone else to rise up even though it's still God's nation now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I believe our world would be a much better place if every nation on the earth lived according to God's will and standards of ethics. But Jesus did not intend for his name to be used for worldly political agendas. Only the church is authorized to proclaim the name of Jesus and to carry his standard into the world. And that is why our worship together should be free of political and nationalistic symbols. Because we are celebrating our citizenship of the kingdom of God when we come to this place. And believe me when I say it smacks me in the face. A kingdom that includes all people of every language, every tribe, every nation on earth. That's the kingdom of God. And this idea does not go back to the last few years. Folks, this goes all the way back to A lot of our founding fathers. Because America was looked at as this new place. And after the revolution, I mean, it really became a place. Read your history. Read your history. America was looked at as the new Jerusalem. They will put, they put, you will see several in these religious groups. They will put that in there. Read about the Puritans. Look on your currency of the great seal. And there's a pyramid that is unfinished. Go home and research that and find out what that is about. Because they really believed that they could usher in what is known as the Millennial Age. Read about Barton W. Stone and Tom uh, and Alexander Campbell. They too believed because this is what they all believed in that day and time. And you say, well, what's so wrong about this? Not long before Jesus was to be taken in. And beaten and crucified. He's brought before Pilate. And he asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Now the religious leaders, this is the way they wanted to get Jesus. Because, because by saying he's the son of God, and to say he claims to be the Christ, he is, he's giving forth these... these, these um, these ideas of King David and and of a throne and, and so forth. And so here's what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom a second time is not of this world Jesus was not interested in ruling one of the worldly nations of the earth he wasn't interested in taking over the greatest and most powerful empire that had ever walked the earth the Roman Empire and to establish his nation even through it Jesus came to bring a new kingdom a new kingdom that brings salvation for those who choose to believe in Him. Those whose citizenship comes by being born again of water and of the Spirit of God. It was a kingdom that was not established by violence. Its territory was, did not grow by, by getting an army and fighting and shedding blood across the earth but by spreading the good news that Jesus has come to save us from our sins. The book of Revelation scares us to death, doesn't it? It's got all those creepy things in there. Which is why it's always good to read your Old Testament because you realize most of the Old Testament is actually in the book of Revelation. But you know what the book of Revelation is about? It's about Jesus taking down the greatest empire that ever walked the earth, the Roman Empire. Did you know that? And, and, and he doesn't use swords. He doesn't call them to rise up with bows and arrows and other such like things. In fact, Paul tells us the kind of armor that was to be used. Things such as salvation and righteousness and truth, the Word of God the gospel of peace and prayer. He says, that's how it's going to be done. Eventually, the kingdom of God grew throughout the entire Roman Empire. They no longer, eventually, would no longer be persecuted or martyred. And in 313 AD, the emperor Constantine Through the edict of Milan, issued and granted Christianity legal status, and the disciples of Jesus not once wielded a sword, not once did they shoot an arrow, not once did they shed blood. Are you sick and tired of the world that we're living in? Are you sick and tired of seeing how it continues to turn Are you tired of God's ethics being trampled on throughout our culture? I am. Jesus says, and share the gospel. Share the good news about Jesus. Stand against the devil's devil's ways of trying to disrupt the church through divisiveness. Through allowing the worldly things to come into this place. Strap on the armor of God. Don't you give in to the world. I am amazed, folks. I am amazed at how much Christians and churches I'm seeing have just completely lost their moral compass. Jesus wants to know, who do you say that he is? Some thinks he's a revolutionary. Some think he's a nonviolent teacher who has some wise sayings, but I'm here to tell you Jesus is more than a holy man. He is more than a great teacher. He is more than a passionate prophet. He is the son of God. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one who came to save us through his death and his resurrection from the dead. Who do you say that I am? You want to know what it means to be a disciple? We just keep reading. Go down to verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's We'll save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Here's what it means to be a disciple it means you got to deny yourself. It's about self denial, it's about daily submission. Every day we must open ourselves up to God's control. It's how we become more like Jesus in, in holiness and obedience to the Father. It is renouncing ourselves as the center of, of existence. And recognizing that Jesus is our new and true center. That he is truly the great king of all. It means that we choose Jesus over sexual pleasures that the world offers us. It means that we choose Jesus over the greed that is continually being bombarding us. It means that we choose Jesus sometimes over family. It means that we choose Jesus over political parties. It means we choose Jesus over entertainment. It means we choose Jesus over social acceptance. That's what it means. He says, if you want to be my disciple, if you really want to overcome this world with good, he says, this is where it begins. And human nature says, that doesn't make sense. But Jesus says, that's the way it's gonna happen. And also self-sacrifice. Cross is the heart of the gospel. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, take up your sword. He says, take up a cross. Bearing a cross is the central requirement of discipleship because confessing Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not asking us to make minor adjustments in our lives to be a follower of his. He is asking for an overhaul of our lives in this continual journey as we move on the road with Jesus. Some think that Christianity is all about self-fulfillment. You know, if I'm a Christian, you know, I shouldn't have any health problems. I shouldn't have any major issues. I should always be able to have a job. I should never have to suffer in any way. And like Peter, some have a very blurry concept of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. The cross, folks, is a commitment. It's something that's lacking in our world. I don't, have you noticed it? Am I the only one noticing this? A lack of commitment. Lack of commitment for people in their families, in their marriages. A lack of commitment to their kids. A lack of commitment with, with those who are working jobs. A lack of... Commitment to to church attendance. A lack of commitment to giving to God. A lack of commitment when we see other people who need help. And as long as it doesn't interfere with what's going on in my life, Then I'll do it. Jesus says, I need some folks who are willing to sacrifice. And it's more than just attendance. What are you going to do if we're called to a higher form of Christianity where we are being persecuted? Did you know over in Portland and and just above it, Antifa has been vandalizing churches for months? They're breaking out stained glass windows, painting graffiti. They're lighting fires. They've attacked street preachers. We talked about that. It wasn't too long ago. And I know, you know what? I mean, we can't be, a, we can't be any further from them in the United States, can we? But what if that rises up here? What are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to get my AK-47. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to point it in their face. By the way, I don't have an AK-47. Talk to your brothers in India, ask them about it. Jesus wants to know, who do you say that I am? Jesus is calling martyrs, not vigilantes. And that slaps in my face, folks. Let me tell you, every time I see the Antifa and I see these videos of them and what they're doing and how, they are, how they're treating people and Christians and, and other... So I, listen, I just, want, I, I just I want to see somebody slap them. Now I'm sure I'm the only one. The rest of you are good Christian people. But I get tired of it. But that's why he says it's self denial and self-sacrifice because he says the way that we win this war is by martyrs. Now most Christians in America, let's face it, we don't face physical danger. But I'm afraid too many are dying of embarrassment when they are questioned about their faith. When we try to stand up for our faith, culture is always going to pressure us to be something that we are not, that Jesus is not. Stand up for Jesus. But understand that there is a day coming when Christ is going to come. He's going to appear in the clouds and he is going to bring forth his justice. He's going to bring forth His judgment upon the earth and those who have walked the road with Jesus, albeit we're not perfect just like Peter. We lack vision sometimes, but we're still walking that road and we finish the course. He says, one day you will be with me eternally. And he says, trade in these temporal things for the eternal Be with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we just ask you to help us to do the hard things. These are not easy. Father, it goes against my own human nature and I need your spirit. I need that spiritual nature inside of me to help me to make wise decisions and Father, I pray this for all of our people here who are your children. Father, help us just not to rely upon this world and its politics and all of its its, its, its all of the pressures that's put on in so many different ways. Father, help us. Help us to know the here, here is your kingdom. And it's not like this world. And as much as we want to fight like the world, Father, help us to realize that your kingdom's better and that we will overcome. Father, I pray for those who haven't made that decision yet to become your children. Father, just be with them. Open their hearts. Help them to realize this is more than just being a part of a group of people. Help them, Father. Help them to know that this is about the way back to you. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to deny himself and to take the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And Father, just help us to take up our cross and follow you. Father, we love you so much, and we pray for this world. We pray for our nation. We do. We pray for your goodness can overcome. We pray that your good news will spread throughout this nation as it once did. Father, give us courage. You are our hope, our only hope. And it's in you and your name that we pray, Father. Your son's name we pray, amen.